Well, welcome to another episode of the Crowdfunding Nerds. On this episode, we cover the theme of change. We talk about adapting to change, meaningful education, dealing with criticism, retention and application, all in the context of helping you reach your crowdfunding goals. Let's get started. Game begin. Let's go. I used to be a marketer like you until I took an arrow to the knee. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean, uh, Sean Bradford. Here we are talking about change on episode 150. So first of all, it's kind of cool that we made it to 150 episodes. That is almost three years of running this podcast. We're still alive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, it, is, it is pretty cool. I mean, you know, we do have people that... that write us every week that just say that they love the podcast and um, that they're avid listeners and that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, if those people are certain to listen to this podcast, uh, we appreciate you. We really appreciate you for letting us know that. And also for, uh, you know, giving us all the ratings and all the sharing on social media, you know, it's made a big difference to us. So we really appreciate you. Um, So now let's, let's just jump into the, the subject of this podcast which is change and change is, is not very easy M- more like this. Um, I mean, it's easy to change your favorite restaurant. It's easy to change, you know, it, I don't know. I think it's impossible to change if you like pineapple on pizza or not. But um, <laughs> I, I think that there are certain things that are just not very important. Maybe a, a good way to frame this is meaningful change. How, how to affect meaningful change in your own life, in your business, in your, I don't know, game design, in your uh, whatever it is, crowdfunding. Um, how, and, and that's really maybe, maybe what we're going to talk about is partially philosophical, but I think that most of what we're going to talk about is where the rubber meets the road and why change is so hard. Um, so let's talk about why change is important. Sean, what would you, what would you, how would you address that? Why is change important? Well, I think change is needful when you encounter new information. So change is really an an element of education. And I think maybe one disadvantage of academia, it almost teaches that once you get your degree, once you come get your doctorate, there you're educated now. (laughs) When I think education is a con, continual process, something you have to do daily, something you always have to kind of, because things are always changing and you always need to adapt to those changes around you. You you do that through educating yourself continually. So understanding processes, understanding technological developments, uh, you know, chat GBT and AI has kind of exploded. So that's a new area where people can start investigating. How can I utilize this? How does this damage certain industries or damage my business or whatever? Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the key. It's just it's trying to get into a frame of mind in which you're always learning and willing to learn. I think one of the biggest barriers to to change is the maybe the 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 belief or the wrong belief that you already know and you're unwilling to yep to to con- at least consider uh, another possibility, another outcome. Um, there are limits to this. You, there are some things which are simply absurd. You don't need to consider them too much. But I think when it comes to changing a process or changing a behavior or something of this nature, then it becomes important to. I lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll say I'll say you you made me think of two things. The first one is um, that oh, coffee. That's why. That's why. Uh, yes, one cup of coffee behind. So, um. So I think that the, uh, you know, one super duper important area uh, that I would want to address in this, why is change important, is that your business can die if you do not change. Um, Adaptation is why businesses survive. That's why Kmart used to dominate Walmart and it no longer, I mean, I think it exists still. Um, Toys R Us used to be the dominant toy store in the United States and it doesn't exist anymore. Um, I mean, all sorts of, all, I mean, Amazon dominates and, um, you know, 80% of all e-commerce sales begin on Amazon. E-commerce wasn't a thing 30 years ago. Um, 
And so we've got a lot of different examples of industries changing. And, um, you know, the board game industry, really the anything that required shipping went through a really catastrophic temporary change. And I think that a business owner's ability to adapt is why they will survive. You know, I, th- I think about terms in terms of like battlefield tactics, you can be the greatest tactician. I, I mean, I'll use myself as an example. I'm a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. If somebody said, I want to fight you, and they raised their fist at me, it would be like a, a fun thing. Um, it wouldn't probably be that hard to, to deal with. But if they surprised me, that's a totally different set of skills. That, that actually relates less to my personal capability as a fighter and more about my um, skill set as a tactician, which can be quite different. Um, you know, just simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, a lot of the time, you know, as a, we'll say at the tactical level, you understand that you should not walk down a dark alley, that you would be an idiot for going um, out in certain places of town at night and, and that kind of thing. And so it's very possible to be very book smart and very street stupid, um, you know, <laughs> and also you can, you, you know, you've got a lot of people, very successful business people that are not book smart, that were not formally trained and yet do very well because they are quite street smart. And so I think that um, your capacity for understanding tactical changes at the, um, uh, we'll say like at the, at the highest levels, kind of the 30,000 foot view of your company and of what is happening around you and how it's going to um, affect your business in the future really how you prepare for those changes is what will determine if you thrive, if you crumble and that sort of thing. And um, in the board game industry in particular, we are no strangers to seeing companies crumble because they were unable to adapt um, in one way or another. Now there may have been other problems and whatnot, but I'd say that's pretty, you know, undeniable at this point. Yeah, an example that comes to my mind is Blockbuster, and in Ireland, there's a similar company called ExtraVision, where had you know rentals, DVDs, and or VHS tapes back in the day, and really they should have been the forefront of online streaming and and rentals digitally, but they dropped the ball. They they failed to change with the times, thinking that us maybe that this business model would last forever, and well, it didn't. So I think there's an example of uh, companies failing to adjust and pivot depending on technological developments and understanding the needs of your customer base and then trying to beat, meet that. Mm-hmm. You know, Sun Tzu in the Art of War says, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you will not need to fear. You need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Wow. So that helps in your board game strategy, <laughs> but it also helps in business. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, under, understand uh, understand your 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 environment, your threats to your mm-hmm. business, and being able to address them. Yeah, and knowing your strengths and weaknesses as a business as well is, is also important. You know, I find that one of uh, so the internet is very famous for arguing about everything, and it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Sean. Um, so. What the um, what I find is very useful when you when you have a position, a hardline position. I, I see many people, of course, in politics or in um, religion or you know the the big things that really can divide people. Um, you have people who very passionately argue for one side or the other. I find, in most cases, that these people are unable to articulate their opponent's points. And, um, you know, better than the opponent can. And I, I think that in, in some cases, you have people that actually are well studied on the opponent's point of view. And uh, I remember I took a class in college, it was a speech and uh, debate class. And um, what uh, we, we were given this exercise to argue for something that you do not believe, and be compelling. If you if you are if you believe the exact opposite, come up with a compelling argument for the opposite side. And I found that to be very, very cool because it, it forced me to research 
the legitimacy of the points that that uh, the other side holds, and it also gave me ammunition when it comes to somebody making a point like that. I know exactly why that doesn't work, or I know why that's wrong, or whatever, because I have studied deeply. Um, I think that it's very important to study an opposing view, and of course, um, you know, politics, religion, and all of the big things aside, it's really important to study people that run their business differently than yours. Um, why does it work for them? And if you run things your way, you know, chances are that you're likely quite inexperienced as, uh, you know, if you're using crowdfunding and you're not, um, you know, Jeff Bezos, then you probably should uh, spend time looking at others' businesses. But um, if you don't, I would argue that your capacity to change is limited. Like iRobot. My, my capacity for answers is limited. <laughs> my responses are limited. Anyway. Yeah, I think a, a lot of the inability to change comes down to pride. I think this is what I was sort of tagging into b- before. Mm-hmm. Is that it, it can not always feel good <laughs> when yeah. you realize what you're doing is not working. Um, and Or even listening to someone who, who says that what you're doing is not working and then be able to take that on board and, and then change. Especially, especially if it's something that is quite personal and close to you that you spend a lot of time with, or you, you take very personally, like your your board game design, it can be very difficult to hear critical feedback and then take it on board without it feeling personal. So I think having humility <laughs> or trying to be as humble as possible, it's like, I'm not God, I don't know everything and other people can, can certainly have input. And I, I even try this with clients, you know, a lot of people um, hire us because we're, we have expertise in, in marketing, but I never want to disregard someone's view or opinion. And I always want to take it on board and seriously understand that because there could, could be a possibility that they are approaching something at a different angle I haven't considered or that they simply understand their product better than I do, uh, whilst I have a, a more of an objective look coming in from um, an outsider's perspective, and I can maybe point out things that they they don't see. But nevertheless, I, I always want to take on board other people's suggestions. And sometimes it's, it's, it's not always correct, but even if it isn't correct, by being willing to listen to it, it might spark an idea of another solution that you can then find a, an answer for. So I think just always trying to be humble and willing to listen to other views, even if it comes from someone who's a jerk, even if it comes from someone who Trolls is, not, is, is not necessarily saying it in a, in a very nice way, there could be an element of truth in it and taking yeah. it on board anyway, I think is it, that's just an element of, of your character that has to be refined yeah. because it doesn't come naturally. You, you really have to try to really love understanding and love love knowledge and then trying to implement it no matter where it's, no matter where it's coming from even if it's from a jerk or something yeah it sounds like it's it's kind of a parable of the wise man and the fool and uh, there are so many parables like this uh, that deal with the wise man and, and and the fool but i would say that there is no phrase that annoys me more than somebody saying i know that um to me that tells me that that person is not open to hearing alternative views and they probably do not know that they know a piece of that and they're not interested in hearing the rest. And so um, just as a, you know, I try, I try my best to act as a wise man to uh, my, my clients, but um, you know, and part of that is absolutely admitting, I don't know everything. Um, But when anybody says, I know that they are closing their mind off to, uh, to knowing or to, to gaining any knowledge. And I think that that's a huge barricade. And most of the time that I hear, I know that it's from people who are, um, I don't want to put this so bluntly, but unsuccessful or, or not in a place of great success. And um, it's, I think a, a symptom of small minded thinking. So, uh, and, and I wanted to address another thing you mentioned, like if, I, I, I used the word trolling, you didn't, but you know, when somebody um, rudely um, talks to you and, you know, like I have trolls that I deal with on a regular basis for, you know, during 
um, my own advertising for deliverance and, and other, other things, you know, and, uh, what I always try to do and whenever, like in Kickstarter comments, whenever you have somebody trolling you, there may be a kernel of truth in what it is that they're saying that is a legitimate concern. And so what I try to do in my response to those people is I try to address the legitimate concern. Um, for example, I have, uh, you know, we've got deliverance ads running. And one of the big things that people troll us on, because we found a lot of success from saying this is a quote unquote Christian fantasy RPG in a box. And um, people sometimes will uh, will post Christian fantasy. Isn't that saying the same thing? Or isn't that redundant or whatever, you know, and they think that they're the first person who said that. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm a former pro gamer. Like I really know how to troll people and I'm very good at it. And I do everything in my power not to use that superpower (laughs) that I have. It's like, I'm a super villain that just is holding it inside like a Vulcan holding their emotions, like, you know, inside. And, um, I, I try to respond like for in this particular example, I think that the kernel of truth is that, you know, is this game going to push religion on me? And that's not illegitimate as a concern. That's a legitimate concern. And I try to address that sometimes, you know, I try not to address that with every single person who writes that thing, like a copy pasted response, but try to make sure that any one of those comments that's getting traction has a response that addresses, is this game going to preach at you? And, um, or do you need to be a Christian in order to enjoy it? Um, which is uh, kind of an extreme example, but you know, that's, that's what I'm dealing with day to day. So <laughs> yeah, um, I try to live by a maxim, don't suffer fools. And I always, it always reminds me of Gandalf. <laughs> I've not passed through fire and death to bandy crooked words with witless worms. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I've been through, been through too much in life to waste my time. So there, it does. I think what I, what I also meant is that taking what people say on board, but not necessarily engaging with them. I think that that's a, a different arena. Yeah. I think you should only engage with people who are willing to understand. Some people have no desire in understanding anything. Mm-hmm. So really trying to reason with them is, is fruitless. Yeah. So, Other times people just want to feel heard. You know, it's not, it's not about what they're saying to you so much. Like for example, in, in game design, when you, put a prototype out on the table and people play it and they they're going to tell you what they thought. And maybe it was an old version of the prototype and you have the new version on the way that fixes a problem. And it's all about like their feedback is all about this one problem. That's actually already fixed. Um, <laughs> you don't, you shouldn't really try to cut them off and say, actually that problem is fixed. You should hear them because people will appreciate being heard. And um, I think that there are, some, you know, the knowledge, the actual words communicated, um, they, they are only about 5% of total communication, the body language and the to- vo- uh, tonal inflection in someone's voice represents the rest of communication. And that's 57% for body language and whatever it is, uh, 38% uh, for tonal inflection and at least 5% for the actual words used, which is why email is a terrible way to resolve an argument or social media for that matter. Um, so, yeah. So I think, I think that um, there are deeper maybe uh, purposes to communication beyond knowledge transfer. And uh, you know, pe- people are at always searching for those physiological needs of safety and, um, and shelter and um, other, other things like that. Those, those uh, physiological needs that, far you know in maslow's hierarchy of needs it it you know it's it's a very useful um i don't know about useful but it's it's at least will add to your knowledge if you look it up um physiological needs are the most basic of human needs um the the need to be safe versus uh the need for clothing and and that kind of thing like you know the um v- versus the need to feel uh approved of you know that's that's not nearly as important Right. So um, I find that addressing, uh, allowing people to uh, uh, feel heard and feel welcomed and, and that kind of thing is super important. And um, that's just, you know, the people that do that, you know, I mean, you could, they could totally be saying dumb stuff 
and it, it, you should still appreciate them and thank them for their feedback. Um, that's probably the best line that I can give any game designer is thank you for your feedback because it shuts people down and makes it and lets them know that you heard them and does not commit to making any changes. So, um, you know, it's, it's extremely useful. <laughs> as long as you don't say it sarcastically. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. Watch your body language and vocal inflection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Andrew, so as we're talking yeah. about pivoting and, and changing and we've, we've in, incorporated this idea of education, constantly learning. I have a, a theory and I would see if you agree or disagree with it, but I think if you want to become a, a better marketer or a better game designer, it is a mistake to only study marketing or game design. So for example, I want to get, I want, I want to be a, a better game designer. You, st- you type into Google, how to become a better game designer. First book that pops up, you buy it and read it. That, I'm sure that's going to be a useful book, but if that's all you do, I think you're, you're shooting yourself short. Is that something you agree with or would you have a different Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of that. I, I'm in very much in agreement with that because um, I'll say, for example, uh, with deliverance, I, I, I study the Bible every day and I, I try to know it. Um, and that was a necessary component of me making a game that everybody loved that used that lore base. And if I didn't have that understanding, I really couldn't do any justice to the lore base. It's kind of like the rings of power writers. They, they never read Lord of the Rings in their life and mm-hmm. never, or never studied it and didn't try to make a true adaptation of, uh, Lord, you know, the, the, the rings, well, the, um, what is it? The appendices that J.R.R. Tolkien used. They just didn't treat the elves like elves and other things like that. And the fans revolted. So their ability to create a great show. I think that it's actually a great show. In fact, I, I personally quite enjoyed the rings of power. Um, but I see the point of everybody that was mad because they didn't treat it with the lore with respect because they really didn't know the lore. And when I say, no, I don't mean like head knowledge. I mean, passionately, uh, adamantly, you know, engaged with the lore, trying to do their absolute best to replicate it. You, you can tell, you know, um, so from the Lord, it's like there's a progression of downward sliding from the Lord of the Rings to the Hobbit to the Rings of Power. It's just like, you know. <laughs> stop, um, stop. <laughs> What's the next thing they can yeah. butcher? <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I do think that um, you must, you know, or like, for example, let's use a totally random thing that I think you'll have a fun time with. Um, survival. So, you know, in a post-apocalyptic world, after everybody's nuked each other and there's a zombie mm-hmm. apocalypse, um, how do you survive? You definitely should have food storage or maybe guns so that you can, like, take over someone's house that is st- that has food storage. I don't know. But um, you're probably not going to make it that far if you don't have any secondary skills, right? Like, you should have, you know, we're talking, like, game terms here. You should have some secondary skills. You should be good at bow hunting or you should be good at like um, maybe you should understand what plants are good to eat and which ones aren't and whatever. And there are all of these different types of people can get together, formulate a new society. Someone knows how to grow crops. Someone else knows how to hunt and someone else knows how to defend a property and whatever. All of these skill sets are necessary and they're not possible to, to gain like in one person. Uh, but um, and so I, I personally feel like your secondary skill sets are extremely useful for your primary skill. And I think that, um, in fact, I'll, I'll go back to a quote that I've used um, in, the, in the past, like a long time ago, um, Elon Musk, and I believe it was his first wife or his third wife, one of his ex-wives um, talked about his understanding of merchant services and the internet that was really the catalyst for him to develop paypal which was his first big claim to fame um so paypal and and a bunch of other companies in the future that he developed but that was the first one and he wasn't the best at merchant services he didn't have the most intricate knowledge of merchant services um uh, you know of any person on the world and he didn't have the most intricate knowledge of the internet of every person in the world. 
but he did have the most intricate knowledge of both of those subjects. He, you know, he understood each of those subjects better than anyone else in the world understood each of those subjects. And he was able to combine them in an innovative way. And I think that developing secondary skills is um, really a catalyst for innovation. Yeah, being so. friends with the folks at DARPA helps as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think in terms of innovation, also idea generation, I'll give an example. I've I've been studying where to I don't know how far do I want to go? Yeah. <laughs> just one example. I, I recently wrote a book on a the Japanese biological weapons program in World War II. They've established this group called Unit Seven Thirty One, and the, in this book, it, it divulges that the Japanese had a plan during World War II to conduct a bi- biological weapons operation on the United States on the Western Coast, and their goal was to use a submarine that would go all the way up to the west coast of the USA, come out of submersion, deploy a one-manned aircraft that would then fly over the western coast that would dispense uh, fleas with, with plague. And this was a suicide mission. It was kamikaze, so there's no return return flight. They decided not to do this in the end. They didn't want to start a, a big biological chain reaction warfare with the <laughs> USA. But nevertheless, reading this, I was like, oh, I didn't even know that technology existed in terms of having like a one-man aircraft that could you know, be in a submarine. And if, if I was a game designer designing a, a strategy game with different units, like, I don't know, like a Command and Conquer mm-hmm. uh, type game, that would be a really cool unit in a game where there's a submarine, it, it emerges, it shoots a one-man play, plane or just a single plane that has a kamikaze mission that spreads plague. Like, that would be a really cool mechanic in a game. And that idea is, is actually based in real history. And I would have never thought of that thought of that concept if I hadn't read this book on history. So I think that's an example of like, if you study things outside of the game design space, like history or even philosophy, economics, you might pick up ideas that you can implement in your game and produce thematic things, which you would have never thought of of yourself. So that's just an example, I think, of the strength of opening up your perspectives if you want to get better at marketing, if you want to get better at game design, try read books on psychology, understand human behavior, read books on economics, read history books, and you might find something that you can compile together. I think another reason as well, the importance of reading books, because most people are going to be like, they're going to be lazy, right? They're just going to, first thing they're going to do, go to Google, <laughs> and they're going, to, yeah. they're going to type something in, and everybody gets that, that a similar search. Everyone's going to have the similar video pop up. Uh, the people making those videos have probably done the same thing <laughs> and are just compiling other other people's ideas. But if you're able to find a book that is even out of print and has some kind of arcane knowledge that no one is really talking about, I think you would be able to find things that other people aren't thinking about, aren't talking about, and you'd then be able to bring that to your own work and have something really unique in the space. Well, if you, I think if you're just using the same tools that everybody else is using, you might not encounter any ideas which are really unique, especially how the internet works these days in terms of people creating content that gets clicks and it's really about algorithm manipulation rather than you know finding what is useful and true for people so i think finding ways of i think this is the importance of reading books and most people as well aren't going to put the time to read a book <laughs> so that alone is going to get give you some very valuable information because a lot of people just don't want to invest the time to do the research themselves they'd rather watch a you know three minute video on the Japanese and biological warfare rather than actually read a book on it. So, <laughs> And it better be cut really, really fast uh, for ADD. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's crazy, but our generation, I mean, the, the, the modern, we'll say like Gen Z, millennials, um, they're all kind of in the same boat. And, and then the next generation after them, we have the attention span of a goldfish. And that is literally speaking, we have an, an attention span that is less than nine seconds. Um, so, which is not good. I mean, a goldfish loses its short-term memory every nine or 10 seconds. So every time it swims around its little tank and sees the little castle or sees the bubbles come up from the treasure chest, it, um, it's like the first time it's ever seen that. And so that's why goldfish lead amazing lives, I guess. Um, in fact, I want to say Peyton Manning or Tom Brady um, or, or some, someone like that, that that was like a very successful uh, quarterback in the NFL, 
they said that success for them boiled down to having memory, the memory of a goldfish because they didn't want to remember the interception they threw the play before they needed to, you know, remember that uh, to, to actually make a positive impact with the next play. And of course the next, um, you know, the ne- if, if you let, let your head trash kind of dictate what it is that you do, you know, in the future, it's, it's just going to cause a, it's going to be less, you're going to be less effective as a human. Um, so, yeah. So to your point, there's um, somebody, uh, Charlie Jones, Charlie Tremendous Jones, actually, he, he, he said something that I think I've heard repeated um, from a number of different places. I think uh, the CEO of Google said this or something like it. Um, but you, you're, you will be the same person in five years as you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. And I'll take it one step further and just, you know, with, with other studies that I've read, um, they estimate that 95% of your thoughts from one day to the next are the exact same, which is crazy to, you know, crazy to think about. And, um, I think that the, you know, a lot, a lot of those thoughts are base thoughts, like I'm hungry or whatever. Um, but the things you think about are 95% the same from day to day. You only have 5% of your thoughts are innovative um, from, uh, you know, in a single day. And that is a pretty crazy statistic. How can a person like that affect change? How can a person like that ever change? Can you change, you know, um, and the only way to do that is to have new thoughts, is to experience new ideas. And so I think that um, it's very important to read books and to have a new thought uh, maybe that you engage with that wasn't your own, but you're reading new information, that is guaranteed new information uh, for you. And so I think that your capacity to change is limited by the fact that 95% of your thoughts are the same day to day. So in order to change them, you have to um, have new input, really. And so uh, for me, I, I will also say that I think that just simply engaging with new material is not enough. Like if you read another book, um, you know, even if it's a fantasy book, like I read, of course, you know, Lord of the Rings, I've read um, the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson and his Stormlight Archive and, um, you know, gosh, Brother Band Chronicles by Rick Reardon and a, a million other series, The Wheel of Time by the guy who's really uh, a pervert. Um <laughs> and uh yeah the you know Stephen just, King? No, 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 no. It's uh it's it's the guy who's anyway, I say he's a pervert because of what the you know all the stuff in Wheel of Time. Um but uh he passed away. Uh George, Robert Jordan. Robert Jordan. Um and so uh, anyway, all of all of these they qualify as new because you're you're engaging with kind of new ways for of of I don't know implementing magic systems and um, new ideas in, in regard to relationships and how uh, the bad guy kind of interacts with the world and is revealed and a, a million other, a million other creative things. But um, I think that, that just simply engaging with new material is not enough. I, mm-hmm. I put it this way. You have to do heavy gravity training when, if you want, if you want to engage with new material, you've got to do like heavy gravity training, like Goku. Um, you've got to be purposeful with your mm-hmm. reading. You've got to read in order to explore new ideas. You can't just read for pure entertainment. And I think there's nothing wrong for reading to, you know, let's say take a load off. I, I know a lot of people relax with reading and they just, you know, or listen to an audio book and they come in and they like zone in and out and they're, you know, have you ever had the experience where you're reading, like I read the entire Harry Potter series in like two weeks. Um, have you ever had the experience where you read, like when you get like really into a book series and you read, and then like all of a sudden you realize, like I don't know what's been going on for the last three pages. It's like your yes. brain just like forgets. Yeah, your brain just turns turns off. Yeah, yeah, and you need to go back, and you're like, oh, what that happened? Um, and it's like I have no idea why we're here. So I think that it's to, to be purposeful with your study is uh, going to be much more useful. And I'm going to use an example that I have craved to use on this podcast since we started, and that's World of Warcraft. So 
I was at one time I was ranked seventh in in arena in the United States and thirty third in the world for MMR, and I I did this in two v two and um, with with a partner who eventually went on after me and placed third at BlizzCon um, at the, so at the second BlizzCon. <laughs> yeah, he he actually carried me. Um, he was amazing. So his name is Ice Fox, but uh, a little uh, Frostbridge. But anyway, um, the uh, the practice, like we would practice hard, and we would practice at a very ske- at scheduled times, and we wouldn't practice all day, but we would practice five days a week for like one hour or two hours, just whatever we were able to to give. And uh, my wife, who was at the time my girlfriend will tell you that I would cut dates short to, to get there. And she, uh, you know, not good, not healthy for the long term. So I don't actually play World of Warcraft anymore. Uh, but <laughs> actually she got into WoW because of me. Um, and we had a lot of fun together. But the, the concept is that um, if uh, I played arena like all day and, and battlegrounds and stuff like that, I mean, I just, I loved poning noobs. And it was, it was super fun. I played a rogue and um, I was very, very good, but I only became, I'll say great when I focused and put time in. And what that involved was playing at high level against all the players that knew not to be noobs, like all the ways not to be noobs. I had to be very, like my timing had to be perfect. And my, you know, the adaptation just reached a, a new level and it wasn't just because i played those players but it was because when we played and we won or we lost we analyzed what we did and how we could improve and what we're going to do differently next time and we critically thought in between every single one of our matches and during the match and i think that that critical thinking is what i mean when i say heavy gravity training so whenever you raid you've got to do it on purpose with intent and um you know, with intent to, to learn. And I think that the, you know, um, maybe another example is I took this business course for how to sell stuff a long time ago when I just started my business. And, um, I, I was, I actually had a business that I was trying to sell websites at the time and which eventually kind of morphed into next level web and crowdfunding nerds. And, um, I was able to take a class and then work on applying that stuff over the course of that week. And then the next week and we would have an, the next class and I would work on applying the new information over the next week. And I've, I would find that I couldn't apply everything, but I could apply at least one thing. I could try to do one thing and try to, uh, you know, be, you know, better myself in that one way. And I think that the application was the only reason that that class was incredible for me. And in fact, that class was taught by Dan Bo, who was on this podcast. He had a two-part episode absolutely incredible master of, of sales because you want to buy stuff from him. Um, he's just, he's just an incredible, um, teacher. But if I were to take the class and just gain the information and not apply it, then that is, I I mean, I would say that that's, I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm letting it happen to me. And my intent is not, um, to better myself. My intent is to just kind of sit back and gain all the information and you can't, you can't wait until you have all the information before you make moves, right? So, yeah, I think what you what you're saying in being intentional is is key because even when it comes to retention, I I always make a note <laughs> to make notes whenever I I read something interesting. I I have a basically a system of documentation, and the reason why I document it is because it's always my intention to teach others what I've what I've learned, and this really helps me retain the information. So my poor wife is probably gets the brunt of this. I, I will read something interesting and then she will hear me talk about it. And I want to, I, I do sincerely want her to understand something that I found interesting, but there's also a selfish element to it where I know that if I communicate this to somebody else, it's going to strengthen my ability to remember it. So yeah. I think having, having that practical approach is certainly going to help. And this can be done in our crowdfunding nurse community. You find something interesting about game design, go to the crowdfunding nurse community, make a post. And yes, you can help the community, but you'll also be strengthening your own ability to remember the information that you've just processed. So yeah, I've, fact, I've, there, there's a stat that, that says if you hear information, you'll retain 10% of it. But if you teach information, you will retain 90% of what you teach, as, which is 
I think just fantastic. So, Andrew, I'm going to say, I'm going to make an assertion. Tell me if you agree with it, disagree with it, or, or otherwise. Is it better, let's say we have someone who, who is a chess champion. Is it better to have someone who is a chess champion, they've played chess competitively, they know this one game super in-depth, or is it better to have someone who is maybe a, a casual board game player who has lots of has played lots of different games but has never really gone into too much depth of them? So what I'm essentially asking is: it, is depth better than spread? What 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 are your thoughts? So I I think that there's there's uh, an argument to be made that in in that particular case that spread is better than depth because you need to know what exists out there what other things exist so if if the chess champion um were to design a game they're going to make chess but better that's that's what's <laughs> going to happen right and that i think is where most of the um games that are really truly not innovative exist or they where they come from where they're like i'm going to make monopoly but different i'm going to make Catan but different i'm going to make um you know whatever it is magic the gathering but better i'm going to make warhammer but better and they end up making a version that people are like, well, why wouldn't I just play Warhammer? Or why wouldn't I just <laughs> play chess, right? Like, let's make 3D chess. Um, let's do chess on a diamond-shaped board instead of square, right? And so, um, however, when you have somebody who has, let's say let's say everybody has a spread of knowledge. So you're Magnus Carlsen, and your friend showed you, um, I don't know, Catan, and then your next buddy showed, I'm sure Magnus Carlsen has played board games because he's from uh, Norway, right? Is he any Norwegian? I don't know. German. Sorry he... for. No, I I know he's. Anyway, he's he's Nordic. Um, he looks kind of like a um, a well shaved Viking. Um, but uh, dude is extremely gifted in chess. He works really hard. He has a mind for it, and he he's just dominating the world scene at the moment. Um, Norwegian, incredible. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes, I got it. So um, he is uh probably the best example of somebody who has a depth of understanding in chess. But if you also give him uh, a spread of understanding of the various games, the things that are possible in games, I think that somebody with a depth of understanding in one could apply some incredible innovation to, for example, a game like Catan, where if you understood Catan and you were extremely knowledgeable in chess, you could understand these, these intricate you know, you could modify Catan in an intricately uh, subtle way uh, because you are such an expert on chess and you could make it feel like Catan and chess, you know, had a baby and it's awesome. So I, I think that it's a, it's the, the answer to your question. I would say, I do believe that depth is more valuable than spread. How, because depth is so much harder to achieve, whereas spread is a lot easier to achieve but it's a lot harder to actually pull information from one play of Catan or whatever. Let's just say if, um, if you get, or like Radlands, but you know, like it's a game that I love that you hate. And um, I actually have it on my desk right now to my left. Um, Radlands is a game that you can just totally get obliterated and have no chance. Star Realms is kind of the same way where some games just do not work out very well for you and you're going to lose them. You should lose them. And other games, you're guaranteed to win. And other games, you actually can impact your, you know, the majority of games, I'll say, you, you can impact your, your likelihood to win. Um, and skill is a, a, a true factor in, you know, the, all the games in the middle, like 70% of your games that you play. Um, it will determine win or loss by skill. And I think that um, a game like that, is uh, and my my mind is like is is now fading. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to make sure that it's that it's you know, um, I could play that one time, and you could play it one time. I had a great first game. It's like wow, it was so close. I, my wife and I played, and she almost beat me, and I pulled out the win at the last second. And then you could have a game where you just got steamrolled because you got these really weak bases, and your your maybe your wife got some really epic um, cards that you just didn't have the ability to deal with because it just so happened that you had the wrong combination of cards in your hand to deal with her strategy. And we could pull two widely different conclusions from, uh, from our plays of that game. 
And I, and that's why I think that spread can be dangerous. That's where people like, oh, you know, Brad Land sucks or um, Scythe is the best game in the world or whatever. After one play, it's because maybe I won the first time I ever played Scythe <laughs> or, you know, maybe I got dominated when I played Radlands for the first time. Um, and so that's, I, I guess that would be my answer to that. Hopefully it makes sense. So you basically said both. That's cheating. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But I will say that I do, I do prioritize depth over spread. I yeah, I, I was always the, the type to go in deep. I think there's probably about four or five games I've, I played growing up that I, I spent a lot of time in. I didn't, I wasn't the type to really, um, spread too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Shelfside do a great uh, breakdown of Radlands. If anybody wants to see that, I think they do a, a pretty good review of some of some of its issues that yeah. I, I I tend to agree with. It's pretty entertaining too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so then there are a couple of things I had left, and we're kind of coming into the the end of our podcast. But um, I want to I want to say that I hate change. I personally hate it, and I know that I'm not alone. People that are listening to this absolutely. Uh, I, you know, if you resonate with me, I hate change. I think it's hard. It's uncomfortable. Um, you know, the, the, the idea of changing into, uh, you know, from coal into a diamond, it takes pain. It takes, um, you know, pressure, it takes heat and it, it probably sucks. Um, (laughs) I don't know what rocks feel or anything, but it's, it's, it's painful, but that diamond is worth a lot while the, um, the coal is worth nothing. It's all about the process that changes the diamond into something that is, is, is worth something or the coal into something that's worth. Um, so I think that forming new habits and breaking old habits in particular is probably the reason that I hate change because I like doing it the way that I'm used to. And, you know, from uh, something as simple as bookkeeping, when I, when I ran my own small business, everything, you know, by myself, I was kind of a freelancer. I had the ability to just, look at my checking account, make sure there was enough money in there for me to pay my bills and try to like hustle to make sales and other things like that. So money would come in in the future. And I really did not go into any depth in bookkeeping. I'm like, let's try not to make, you know, unnecessary expenditures and let's try to make money. And is the bank account greater than zero? Great. You know, I could not run the business today like that. I, um, you know, we've got six employees that now, rely on us uh to be profitable and and all of that and i have a bookkeeper i have a cpa um i have you know with uh the deliverance uh publishing you know low end games as a publishing business we've got a cruel basis accounting and other things like that and that stuff's really uncomfortable sometimes it feels like i just it's like um you know like brian tracy's book eat that frog mm-hmm. um we we actually discussed a ton of business books. We'll include the uh, podcast episodes in the show notes, but um, it really felt like a frog because it was, um, you know, like eating a frog. I don't like, I don't like to eat frogs, but uh, you know, and that's the whole concept is that the hardest thing you have to do that day is the frog that, that you have to eat first, you know, eat the frog on your plate and then you can eat the, the good stuff that you like. Um, if you eat the frog first, then the rest of the day, that, that that difficult task that you complete early is going to allow the rest of the day to become much easier. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that breaking an old habit is a lot like eating a frog um, for me. I don't know how to feel <laughs> like that. <laughs> so the, the last thing that, you know, that we have is we made some changes personally to our crowdfunding nerds podcast. And you probably heard them at the beginning of this episode. Um, we're advancing, we're growing, we're, our listener base is increasing and we want to do things that are going to kind of keep us with the times, you know, um, when we started, it was just, let's go off the cuff. Let's, uh, talk about a topic and and that kind of thing. Um, and I found it difficult to sometimes maintain control of where our conversation went and we would have large swaths of, of, um, segment that would be, uh, removed that Sean would have to remove. Well, we're, we're growing in our business. And now Sean, actually, as of episode 149, Sean no longer cuts the podcast. We have a, a company that helps us cut up uh, the podcast, Diff Mix Audio Productions, and um, with Eric and Amber Beals. Thank you, guys, by the way. And um, they advised us, you know, hey, you've got 150 episodes now, and 
you you have a mature audience that's used to listening to you guys. They probably skip your intro and why not change it? And so we have now this new format, which um, is going to generally be Sean introducing the episode at the beginning, followed by what we call a bumper, which is like a five second or so intro um, music that is short enough that nobody would care to skip. And then we dive right into the topic so that the beginning of the episode frames the topic for everybody. And then we get right into the content um, rather than you guys hearing the same thing that you've heard a bunch. It's just going to be unique content and um, took us a little while to get there. But I think that uh, the change over in the long term is going to be really good for everybody um, because that way it's going to frame what it is that you guys um, uh, can expect from the episode. And I think in the end, it's going to result in longer uh, retention and uh, listenership. And it's going to just, in the end, it's just going to help more people. It's going to help you guys even more. So, um, but before we go, um, I would love to hear from you guys in our crowdfunding nurse community on Facebook. What changes have you guys made to your businesses or to your game design or, or whatever it is that has been extremely impactful? And what habit did you have to break? What new habit did you have to form? Really curious about that. Join our crowdfunding nerds community on Facebook. We're going to pin a post um, for this episode. It's episode 150. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. If there's anything that is meaningful, that has made a difference in your business career, uh, our journey, um, your crowdfunding journey, all of that, I would, I think that our members would find that really, really useful. And so uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, you can go to, you can search for crowdfunding nerds community on Facebook, um, and it'll also be in the show notes. So that is the conclusion of this podcast. We're just going to let Robot Richard send us on out like he always does. We're not changing that. And uh, <laughs> so, Robot, energize. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you have a crowdfunding question, we also have a page on our site where you can send a message directly to us. Please visit crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question. And if your question is a great question, we may include it in a future podcast. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.